Once again, we are facing a crisis of color in America. And frankly, I don't get it. I'm confused. Why are we so afraid of color? We have just recently experienced the conclusion of the Jer Derek Chauvin trial. And Derek Chauvin has been declared guilty uh, on three counts. Two counts of murder, one in the second degree and also a count of murder in the third degree, but also a count of secondary manslaughter. This has raised a lot of strong feelings on both sides. Some people feel that Derek Chauvin was actually guilty of murder. Some people doubt that he was guilty. Other people insist he was completely innocent because he was acting in a professional capacity as a police officer in taking down a hardened criminal with a long record of corruption, of violence, including rape. And also in the matter of George Floyd, at the time that Derek Chauvin was kneeling on his neck to restrain him, George Floyd was high on fentanyl. Now, fentanyl is a synthetic opioid. It is available in several forms. One of them is a form that we actually use to sedate large animals, such as elephants and rhinoceri. But fentanyl is a very powerful opioid, and it is so powerful that in medicine, the strong recommendation is that we should never start a person who is called opioid naive, that is, who has never taken an opioid in the past. Uh, such a person should never be started on fentanyl because it is so powerful. Now, George Floyd was overdosed. He overdosed himself, and he actually stated that he could not breathe he said those words, I can't breathe, before Officer Chauvin actually kneeled on his neck. Yes, we do have all the facts uh, regarding the case now. They are actually well known for anybody who uh, wants to do any investigating. But despite the fact that Chauvin was using a common police tactic that was widely taught and used for combative people who are resisting arrest, um, that unfortunately supposedly led to his demise. The truth is we'll never know the fact. Uh, we'll never know if kneeling on his neck is exactly what killed uh, George Floyd. And we'll never know if he would have died from the overdose. We just won't know. Nevertheless, at the conclusion of a jury trial, the jurors all agreed that this police officer, Derek Chauvin, was guilty of murder. You can forget about all the facts of the case because truthfully, in a land of lawlessness, all cops are bad, and especially a white cop that kills a black person in the line of duty. So forget the circumstances. 
we now have a new color code and the new color code has its own set of rules and God help the one who violates them. This is Unity Without Compromise with Dr. Steve LaTulip on America Out Loud Talk Radio, where truth is exposed and where values actually count. Today, I want to discuss in some detail the color code as it is now known, and I would like to expose what I believe is truthfully just common sense, but in my forever uh, perpetual naivety, I have to admit to you, I might not know exactly what I'm talking about today. I am confused. And the confusion comes when I think about the facts relating to color. You know, I grew up in Rhode Island. And in Rhode Island, uh, we had a very unique situation uh, pertaining to different ethnicity. We had what is called villages, and there was the Italian village, the Portuguese village, the Hispanic village, the black village, uh, the French village, and color did not seem to play into anything with regard to interactions with other people. I just didn't think about color affecting any relationship I had with any person. I actually had friends who were black. I had friends who were of a various number of ethnicities and races and color was not something that influenced those relationships. In fact, in Rhode Island, uh, when I was 16 years old, I worked at Davisville Naval Air Station in the galley, uh, in the chow hall, if you will. And I remember interviewing for that job as a sophomore, I believe I was uh, in high school. And I was introduced to Mr. Roberts. Now, Mr. Roberts was a tall large man with a commanding voice. He also happened to be black and he was a very dark color of black. Frankly, I was intrigued by him. I was interviewing with him and with when Mr. Roberts spoke to me, I responded with yes, sir. No, sir. Why? Because Number one, he was an adult, he was a senior, and I was taught to respect my elders. The fact that he was a black man had nothing to do with anything. I was impressed by him simply because he was the head of the whole shebang. He was my supervisor, he was my supervisor's supervisor, my immediate supervisor, and when Mr. Robert spoke, I simply responded in complete respect with no thought to color whatsoever. But times have changed. Uh, the time frame of this was about 1973 when I was employed. And as I worked in that galley, yes, there were 
lots of people uh, from of different races. There were many blacks, many Hispanics, many everything, because that's what you get in the military. I worked with a guy named Sid, who was a black man. Uh, and, and we had a lot of fun together. We laughed. We enjoyed our work because we could simply have fun. And color, the issue of color, just simply never came up. So I have to admit to you that I was very naive. Now, maybe I was also very fortunate because my parents taught me from the very beginning that color was of no significance when it comes to the value of a person. I was actually raised uh, from the old school, whereby people, regardless of who they were or what they were, were to be treated with respect because they were people. And it stopped there. I was taught to respect women, to treat a woman as if she were my sister. Can you imagine how wonderful the world would be if men would just respect that rule. I was taught that people who were in higher positions of authority were to be respected because they earned their keep, they worked hard to get there, and therefore, because of their hard work and discipline, because of their education, because of whatever it took to get them there, they deserved respect. Simple as that. Color was not significant. But now, once again, America is in crisis. The Democrats, if you want to call them that, are in control. And the Democrats are making a grand issue of color once again. You see, color perhaps has, has always been a factor uh, as you look through history, uh, slavery was practiced uh, probably from the very earliest days of mankind, and slavery is even mentioned in the Bible. And it's very interesting to read uh, about the interaction of a slave and his master. The relationship was actually one of respect, mutual respect. And obedience uh, for the master, obedience to God with respect to how you treat a slave. And for the slave, respect for both God and his master, his worldly master. Um, but unfortunately, slavery can be very abusive, and it has been very abusive. One day, along comes a new group of people who are migrating to a new continent called America. And those people were fleeing some very harsh conditions uh, pertaining to religious liberties, pertaining to oppression. And I don't believe that color was the issue at all. When America was formed and the Declaration of Independence was signed, we, the people, decided that we would abide by the laws of our Constitution. And the Constitution was based on the laws of God, the laws that state that every man is created equal. Every man is equal in the sense of 
value before God. That would include a slave or a free man. But what about slavery? Uh, we came into much conflict, and there was a dividing line between the North and the South, the Mason-Dixon line. And finally, with our 16th president, Abe Lincoln, it all came to a head. You see, there's always some genuine people who really wish to live by the rules, play by the rules, honor the Constitution, and they had a great conflict because they actually saw the destructive forces of slavery at work. Now, I have to tell you that when I enlisted in the Air Force two weeks after high school and went into the Air Force, I had to have some kind of race training. I, I only recall it vaguely, but I was confused at that time. Why do I need this? Um, it didn't make sense to me because I was just that naive. In my childhood, I could only remember that we did celebrate each other's diversity. I loved Portuguese food. I loved Italian food. I actually went each year to the Portuguese carnival, which was a Portuguese celebration. It was a fun time. And yes, there were people of all colors and races there. And it was something to be celebrated. If you are a connoisseur of foods, as I like to think I am, then eating foods uh, from different cultures is really good. In fact, uh, in my later years, when I flew all over the world, uh, there were times when I would eat food that I didn't even know that I was eating. For example, one time, uh, my air crew on the KC-135 landed in Korea, and we went out to eat uh, at a Korean restaurant, but there was uh, no English menu. So we all pointed to a different uh, selection on the menu in Korean. And not until after I was finished eating did I find out that I had a dog burger. Now, I have to tell you that that dog burger was actually pretty good. I only struggled a little bit with the green water that came out and with a snail in the glass, but I drank it and I ate the dog burger and it was good. It was from a different culture. Now that's pretty extreme, um, but I'm pretty extreme with trying different things. Uh, but the point that I am making is that I never once considered race to be a negative factor in my relationships with anyone. Although I heard about the stories of racism and culture wars, if you will, the problems between blacks and whites, as I was a child in the early 60s, I never really understood it. And it was not until after my flying career had ended and I was preaching in a little town called Junction City, Kentucky. At that time, I was introduced firsthand to a form of racism, to a schism between blacks and whites. As a minister of the local Christian church in Junction City, I was learning firsthand what it meant 
for people to be divided based on color. Yes, I was told that Blacks had their own funeral home and Whites had their own funeral home. But the interesting fact is that both people, both groups were very satisfied and content with that condition. They seemed to not want it any other way. And so it really didn't affect me. But a little time later, one of my uh, people in the congregation came up to me and asked me if she could invite a friend to attend church. And uh, I was caught off guard by that. I said, whatever are you talking about? And this woman told me that her friend was black. Oh, my goodness. It hit me. For the first time in my life, it hit me. And I realized that something is terribly wrong in our country. This time frame was in the early 1990s. Now, you would think by that time, things would have settled down with regard to color. I just naturally assumed that things had settled down. After all, we already did fight the Civil War. And when I read about the Civil War, I was actually proud to be from the North. I think that if I had lived in the Civil War days, I would have been one of those people instrumental in freeing Blacks. Uh, I would be part of the Underground Railroad. I would certainly do everything I could to oppose the Jim Crow laws. But in the Civil War, when the real fight was to abolish slavery because of our Constitution of America, and having won the Civil War, the North did, slavery was abolished. And I was very happy to hear that when I learned it, because, of course, that's the way it should be. So says our Constitution. So says the Bible. We do have God-given rights, and freedom is one of them. And our Constitution stands on that premise. So I thought that was the end of the road, but then... I recalled my childhood, and I recalled watching TV, seeing the riots, the race riots, and seeing Dr. Martin Luther King speak and talk about his dream, his vision for a totally free America. And of course, I was completely for it. So when I was preaching in Kentucky and I was asked, to be, give permission to have a black woman come into my church, it was only then that I realized, oh yeah, we don't have any black people in this church. I suppose uh, at the beginning, I was caught up with just trying to understand the white English people talking with their Southern accent because I had a New England accent and it was quite hard to understand what they were saying but it had nothing to do with color. Uh, but ever since that time, I realized that we still have some work to do. And I was frankly quite frustrated by that. You see, when we talk about discrimination, there are still some people 
who have perpetuated the myths such as race determines intelligence. Nothing could be further from the truth. I would not want to go up against some black people uh, who have so much more intelligence than I. Race has nothing to do with intelligence, but some people also perpetuate the myth and discrimination that your color of your skin determines your opportunities or your misfortunes in life. I reject that. We talk about color appropriations. And so here we are trying to remove the names of some of our sports teams because they might be offensive to other cultures, other races. The Redskins, for example. How offensive is that? Well, I didn't think it was offensive at all. You see, race, they claim, deals with psychological traits, and that is a lie. Race actually deals with physical characteristics. When you talk about race, what we are talking about is our breed. It has nothing to do with intelligence. Take the race of your dog, for example. Some dogs are characteristically noted to be very intelligent. Some dogs are noted to be very dumb or stupid, but very happy. And I have had both. I had a Scottish Terrier who was at least as thick-headed as I am, but he was spastically happy and I loved him. I have had a blue healer who was extremely intelligent. I have had a red Doberman who was very intelligent, very friendly, very loving, and very loyal. When we talk about breed, we are talking about external characteristics. So how can race define you? We hear another myth that, and this is a new myth, that is currently being exposed, we who are born of white ethnicity are guilty. Now that just doesn't make any sense at all to me. How can I be guilty of being white? If you are a Latino, how can you be guilty of being born Latino? Ah, oh, well, they would say, who want to create a color code, if you are born white, you are born of privilege. Oh, is that so? I never learned that rule when I grew up. Born of privilege? I was the second born of six children. My father made it through seventh grade when halfway through that year he had to quit school to raise his family, to support his family because his father abandoned the family. My mother managed to get a high school degree. Both my mother and father worked very, very hard to provide for six children and somehow they did it. Now, my dad did not often go to my cross country meets or my hockey games because he was working three jobs. I, throughout my education, was told, oh, Stevie, you have so much potential. Why don't you apply yourself? I thought, oh, they say that to everybody. 
I was a total screwball throughout my high school years. I didn't know that I was born of privilege. And because of that lack of knowledge that I was white and privileged, I enlisted in the Air Force immediately after high school. And in the course of my studies in my military training, I actually flourished and did pretty well. I discovered, wow, if I bring the books home and study them and do the assignments, hard work pays off. And do you know what? It was kind of fun. But white privilege? No way. No way. After my flying days were over, I had accumulated a good deal of life experience. By that time, I had been to Bible college. I had been to seminary. I was an ordained minister. And I decided one day to attend medical school at the urging of a friend who was actually a student of mine when I was in a doctoral program in microbiology. Even then, I never thought I had what it takes to be a physician, but it was suggested to me, hey, why don't you do it by this friend? And so I did apply to medical school. And then I had my second lesson with regard to, oh, shall we call it white privilege? Um, I quickly understood at least the concept of what people were talking about with reverse discrimination. You see, privilege, even for whites, only goes so far. And when I applied to medical school in early 1993 or late 1992, I recall, um, I was very disadvantaged. You see, I was white and they were looking for Hispanics and Blacks and Asians and anybody but a Caucasian. Furthermore, I was a male and they were looking for females. And then came the hardest hit of all. I was a Christian and I was an ordained minister. You know why I got accepted to medical school? Because of my extensive life experience. Otherwise, I don't think I would have been accepted because I was a white Christian male. That does not sound to me like white privilege. However, I was very thankful for the experience because how else could I know oppression, the oppression of my being someone or something and just that being rules out my opportunities to advance my course in life. I really did not understand it until that point. And so when I think of oppression because of skin color, it does get up my dander. I would have fought the Civil War against that oppression. One of my greatest heroes in life is Dr. Martin Luther King. Here was a man who himself was an ordained minister, who himself had a doctoral degree in theology, and he lived a life 
of nonviolence and pursued social justice. Yes, he had a dream that blacks could peacefully live in society. And Dr. Martin Luther King is the civil rights movement in my mind. We celebrate him with Martin Luther King Day. We do not celebrate the Black Panthers. We do not celebrate a day for Malcolm X. We celebrate a cause because it was just. And those people who fight for justice have no regard for skin color. Some of you may disagree with me because you've had a different experience than I've had. Some of you might think, well, all Blacks are trouble. Well, think further. Think of the other racial comments that try to put you into a box. Have you heard that all Italians are loud and emotional? And Germans are just the opposite. They have no emotions. They have no feelings. Have you heard that Asians are bad drivers? And that all Irish are hotheads? And of course, let's look at myself, a full-blooded Frenchman. Aren't the French stubborn and thick-headed? Of course they are. There are no exceptions. And if you believe that lie, I feel very, very sorry for you. In fact, if you turn to Titus 1.12, this is a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to expose some evils. And one of the great evils is that some of the leaders in this church were stating that Cretans, that is, residents uh, of the, on the island of Crete, are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And Paul condemns this. Now, this interpretation uh, of this passage is oftentimes abused. Paul says that it is a fact that people were saying this. It is not a fact that Cretans are liars, evil beasts, and lazy gluttons. Paul is condemning people being labeled and put into a box because of their race. This is an evil from hell. And however you look at it, when you are discriminated against because of your outward appearance, well, some people would call that reverse discrimination. No, it's just discrimination, straightforward malfeasance. But how can I get people to understand that race is nothing but external appearance? It is interesting to look at the science of skin color. And I think we should take a look at that. But let me appeal first to the Bible. What exactly does the Bible say about race and color? Now, some of you I know are very disillusioned because you recall that God selected the Jews. He chose the Jews to be his people. 
And that is so, but the choice was not made because of a race, but the Jewish people were chosen for a very specific purpose, and that was to carry forward the oracles of God. So the scribes who wrote the letters and the books of old that are now a part of our Bible were used by God for that specific purpose. However, from the very beginning, God did not regard any race over any other, and his plan, going all the way back to the Adamic covenant, was that the entire world would have the opportunity to be saved and to enjoy everlasting life. What does the Bible say about color? Well, if I were to talk about this, I would have nothing to say. God says nothing about color, although he hints at it. 1 Samuel 16, verse 7 says, For God does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Let's stop there and take a quick break. This is Dr. Steve LaTulip on Unity Without Compromise. And when we return we will discuss further what the Bible does not say about color and then take a look at the science of skin color. Hello, this is Lieutenant Randy Sutton, the host of Blue Lives Radio, the voice of American law enforcement. I am a 34-year police veteran. I am also the founder and CEO of an organization that stands behind injured and disabled law enforcement officers. It is called The Wounded Blue. Our website is thewoundedblue.org. We have produced a film. It is an important film. I urge you to watch it. The film details what happens when a police officer or law enforcement officer is shot or stabbed or beaten or disabled, seriously injured in the line of duty. Most people think they are taken care of medically and financially. The reality may be quite different. It is called The Wounded Blue, Service, Sacrifice, Betrayed. The film is available on Amazon, iTunes, and the Microsoft Store. Today, America stands at the crossroads of history. Our actions will determine the fate of our nation. Well, that journey starts here and starts now. We invite you to join us in making the ultimate difference. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters. Turn notifications on and stay in the know. You'll find all that back at AmericaOutloud.com. Liberty and justice for all. This is Dr. Steve Lutulip with Unity Without Compromise on America Out Loud Talk Radio. Today I've been discussing the new color code the code that we must break because it is so utterly destructive. 
I was just speaking about what the Bible says about color, and the Bible says absolutely nothing about color. For God does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7. When man looks at the outward appearance, what does he see? Well, everyone would conclude that we see a body. And the body is covered by the largest organ of the body, and that is the integument or the skin. The Bible says absolutely nothing about color other than mentioning perhaps that someone might have been black. For example, Moses, because of his origin, was likely a black man. Of the prophets and teachers in the Antioch church, one of them was called Simeon, who was called Niger, meaning he was probably a black man. End of commentary on that. The Bible says nothing about color, but everything about loyalty to God. Remember that the Jews and the Israelites of old were allowed to take someone in to their culture, integrate them, and as long as they followed the rules that were proclaimed by God, there was no problem whatsoever uh, about integrating them. There was no racial dividing lines at all. And why is that? Because skin is an outward appearance. Let's take a look at the science of skin color, because maybe with some understanding of what makes us light or dark, fair-skinned or black, maybe you will understand that it has nothing to do with character whatsoever. The skin is composed of three layers, the epidermis, the dermis, and the hypodermis. The epidermis is the outermost layer, and it itself is divided into other layers. I don't want to get too technical, so let me just introduce one term. The basal layer, the bottommost layer of the epidermis is called the stratum basale or the stratum germinativum. It gives rise to all of the other cells of the outer layer of skin. In this basal layer are a few scattered cells called melanocytes. These are the pigment cells in your body. When you are born, you have been genetically programmed to exhibit or manifest what's called a phenotype. That's the outward appearance. And so we have babies being born with lighter and darker skin based on the genetically determined density of those pigment cells in the basal layer of the epidermis. The melanocyte density is genetically determined. So how possibly can anyone be told that if you are born white, you should be guilty? Or if you are born black, you are guilty of anything? 
Did I have any say in being born? Did you have any say? No. You know, there's a very interesting thing that happens when people are undressed and look in the mirror, they're seldom happy. And when it comes to skin, if a person is very dark, many people want to lighten their skin by bleaching it. White people, if they are very white, want to darken their skin. We are never satisfied even with our own outward appearance. And so should it be any surprise that when we walk about in public that some people like us or don't like us simply because of our outward appearance? That might include skin color. But that is an absolute absurdity. Melanocytes, the pigment cells in your skin have a protective benefit. When I was visiting my two daughters down in Scottsdale, Arizona for the past few weeks, I wished that I had had a few more melanocytes than I did. You see, when a white person is tanned, that tan is actually evidence of skin damage. So the blacks have a great advantage with that. But there are other traits associated with our ethnicity, both good and bad, protective and harmful. Sickle cell disease is much more common in blacks. Thalassemia, which is a form of anemia, is much more common in the Mediterranean races. Do you have a choice in that? No, you don't. As the saying goes, we don't choose our parents. So regardless of the density of your pigment cells, you are who you are, not because of your birth, not because of your genetics, but because of your character. Some people get it and some people don't. We fortunately have some black people who are making an extreme difference in the black race. Take Candace Owens, for example. I love Candace Owens because although her focus oftentimes is on the black culture, she is appealing to their brains, to using common sense, to using knowledge to overcome the biases that destroy people. Larry Elder flat out stated that there is no pandemic in America of white police killing black people. Many of you, I believe, have good intent. I'm not sure that I could make that claim for the destructive, racist, terrorist organization called Black Lives Matter. But I suspect that even though this organization, which, by the way, is composed of whites and blacks, these are people who haven't a clue about the value of all human life. Black Lives Matter will never be satisfied with a jury convicting a white police officer who killed a black criminal, whether it was in the line of duty or not. Does anybody recall the name Victoria Rose Smith? 
Victoria was a three-year-old white child. She was beaten to death by her adoptive Black parents, Jerry and Ariel Robinson. This couple just happened to post an article about Victoria's white privilege just a short time before they brutally killed her. Did anyone hear of any uprising against this abuse? Does anyone recall the name Victoria Rose Smith or Tori, as she was called? And what about the name Cannon Hinnett? This was the five-year-old white boy who was senselessly shot at point-blank range in the head by Darius Sessoms, a black man. While Cannon was riding his bicycle in his father's front yard, Sessoms was a 25-year-old black man. Have you heard anything about that on the mainstream media? Where is the outcry of black against white evil? Now, these are just two distinct cases. Should we jump to the conclusion that all blacks are child killers? Of course not. Of course not. That would be evil. Just in the same way, it is evil to call all white policemen or all policemen, black or white, evil. Policemen are defenders of justice. Yes, there are bad apples. I have experienced this through my patients in my clinic. I recall a white man being pulled over by a white police officer and treated abusively for no good reason. You see, police officers are people too. Do I sympathize with the black men when they talk about the evils and the horrors of slavery? I most certainly do. I once read a book called Black Like Me. It was written by a journalist, John Howard Griffin. And John Griffin did something that was very bold and very radical. He took a drug, a chemical that actually turned his skin black. He was a white man and took a medication that is sometimes used to treat a condition where there is an absence of all melanocytes or pigment cells, and that is called vitiligo. When John Griffin took this, it took him approximately three months to become dark enough that he could be passed for as a black man. He had to shave his head because he didn't have the typical Afro-American curly hair. And so he shaved his head, but he actually was successful in losing his white identity and becoming a black man. And he related his story in his book, Black Like Me. And it was very revealing. Anyone who cannot sympathize with the history of slavery in America simply has no heart. Mr. Griffin did a fine job exposing the abuses that once was imposed upon black people. It does not mean that white people have not been abused. Man's inhumanity to man has gone on 
forever, and it likely will continue. The Civil War, unfortunately, did not end all divisiveness between blacks and whites, but it was a start and a very big start. Dr. Martin Luther King did a great, great work in this country in making us wake up to the fact that color is only skin deep. Yes, there are people who get it. I mentioned a few, Candace Owens, Larry Elder, Bryson Gray, and many other people of many different races and all skin colors do get it. But there are some people who still don't get it. Maxine Waters, the Democrat senator from California, went out of her way to incite more violence. LeBron James, a terrific basketball player, encouraged violence against a white police officer for doing his job. Another man, Tariq Nasheed, mercilessly intimidated a worker who just happened to have some mental health issues, but he was just trying to do his job. What do all of these people do? They raise the issue of the color code. This is evil. This must be called out by every one of us. Their mouths must be stopped. They are divisive and they do seek to subvert our free nation. They do seek to enslave us by raising an issue that will divide us. Remember, there are three ingredients to a coup that is seeking to overthrow a nation. The first is fear. Are we afraid of each other? Is that what they are trying to accomplish? Possibly so. The second ingredient to a successful coup is confusion. Are you confused about the issue of white and black? About the issue of skin color? Please don't be. It is skin deep. It has nothing to do with character. The true patriot, you see, is colorblind. Well, not really. The true patriot actually sees skin color for what it is, an anatomical external feature of race. And they see it, that is, it is merely an expression of the beauty of God's creative powers. Whether your skin color is red, yellow, black, white, or green, it doesn't matter. And so I am very disturbed when I hear of critical race theory, which teaches us that we must be color sensitive. What do you mean we have to be color sensitive? What we really need is to become desensitized to color. Color should not be an issue. It is only an external trait found in the largest organ of the human body. That is the skin. You see, we are being brutally attacked in our nation right now, and they are coming at us from every which way. We're dealing with a pandemic that is being declared the most horrible pandemic ever 
ever experienced among all pandemics. This is a bunch of nonsense. You people are being told that you must wear a mask to protect your fellow man when that mask has no beneficial effect whatsoever. We are told to isolate from one another. We are told to not even visit as families. We are told, we are told, we are told. And what exactly are these progressives doing? You do recall the Ku Klux Klan, don't you? Do you realize that the Ku Klux Klan did everything they could to oppress the black man, to put them into a box, to separate them from culture? But they failed and they failed miserably. But what the Ku Klux Klan could not do, the progressives have actually been succeeding at doing very well. They are, again, dividing us. Segregation has been reinvented and the guilty white people, or so they are called, are using blacks to achieve a Marxist objective. Think about it. What are the liberals trying to do? They are trying again to divide America based on a superficiality that has no bearing whatsoever on being a patriot. As Americans, we simply must join together and be one people. We must be united by our constitution and we must be fully aware that the God who created us loves us all and called us all to be one just as Jesus and the Father are one. I sometimes wonder when I think back in history, in biblical history, you realize that at the time of the great flood, there were eight people on the ark. These eight people, Noah and his three sons and all of their wives, were the only surviving human beings on the whole planet. I wonder what was their skin color. Do you think it mattered then? I don't, and I don't think it matters now. If we put unity into a biblical context of having oneness based on an undistorted, rightly interpreted scripture, we will be woven into a very strong cord that can never be broken. We must shatter the color code. It focuses on externals that have nothing whatsoever to do with character. It is a distraction from the real issues that are tormenting us now, that are destroying our country. It divides our nation. There is no such thing as strength in diversity. It's been touted, it's been greatly promoted. Celebrate our diversity. There is strength in diversity, that is a lie. But there is great strength in unity. And if we can destroy the color code, we can much more easily unite and be a strong nation, just as we intended to be from the very beginning. We should appreciate one another's cultural differences and enjoy them. 
I love ethnic food. I will forever celebrate ethnicity. When I see a black man, I don't look at his skin. If you must focus on the outward appearance as a human being, then try this. Look at the eyes, because the eyes are an external organ that are the window to the soul. The eyes are usually a revealer of the heart. But even then, be careful. First impressions can be deceiving. People are people. People make mistakes. And what this world needs more than anything is a little more kindness, a little more gentleness, and yes, a little more holiness. This is the business of those who wish to build unity without compromise. And that must begin with you and me. You see, maybe we actually aren't as good as we think we are, regardless of our skin color. And maybe we're not as bad as we think we are, but we'll never know unless we have a standard. And that standard, if we are to remain the United States of America, that standard must be the Holy Bible. It is so worth reading and knowing. The Bible says nothing about color. Please don't rain on my color parade. I thank you for joining me today. This is Dr. Steve Latulip on Unity Without Compromise with America Out Loud Talk Radio. Remember, you have a great gift, your life. Regardless of your skin color, please use your life to be a unifying force for the good of your fellow man. It's as simple as this, love your neighbor as yourself. Please use your gift and make the world a better place this week. Until next time, have a wonderful week.